Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now you know where that comes from, huh? It's uh, New Year still. We're not past January. And uh, it seems like people are looking back and saying, oh, who, who is the greatest athlete of the year? Who is the greatest businessman of the year? Who is the person of the year, right? And uh, I've seen on TV and heard on the radio, looking back even further and wondering about particular dates and the significance of those things. For instance, how many of you know what January 8th is? January 8th, is that significant? January 8th is the birthday of Elvis. <laughs> Not too important, really, right? January 8th, 1935, which makes him about eight years older than I am. And uh, I can't imagine 80-year-old Elvis, but I guess that would happen if he had stuck around. And then we have some other things that were significant in the sporting world. They had uh, <clears throat> Brady as quarterback of the... Uh, I guess, the decade, at least. And um, when did he win his first Super Bowl? That was um, that 2001-2002 season. So in 2002, he won his first Super Bowl. He's been knocked around for a long time, huh? I'm surprised he can talk, let alone walk around. But uh, he still wants to play some more. Some people never learn, right? And then... Looking back even further, you have something that happened in 1945. And this was something that was prepared for for a long time. People were getting ready. They didn't know for what. And then the phrase D-Day started coming up. Now, I looked that up. The D doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> it's just a kind of a point that they would go from. So if the invasion were one day, D minus two would be a debut two days before, and so forth, you know. So it was just a marker that they could use for any particular day. But that was day, maybe I'll just read this for you a little bit. On the 5th of June, 1944, in the gray pre-dawn light of a hazy 4 o'clock in the morning, some 5,000 ships of all kinds put out to sea from ports in England, soon to be joined by airplanes that would almost darken the skies that day. The airplanes were carrying airborne troops who would spearhead the landings. While they were on the sea or in the air, the secret became known. Their destination was the Normandy coast. They were invading Europe. So they were getting ready for all this, but they didn't know what it was until they started the invasion. All of a sudden, things changed. There's a whole new way of looking at things. And as you look back, some of those same things we talked about had a kind of a changing I guess, influence of the things that they were identified with. For instance, you know, after Elvis, music was never quite the same, right? Everybody had to go from that particular point. He set a standard. I remember the first time I heard him on the radio in our little filling station in Fairbank, Iowa. I said to my dad, no, he's not so bad. He said, he'll never make it. <laughs> kind of a generational change there, right? But uh, anyway, that was a change. And then you have uh, that Super Bowl thing. And I guess it's sort of symbolic of the things that we've gone through in a society. Someone said 
we've come from a place where we built cathedrals to a place where we build sports stadiums, right? And there's a lot that goes with that. Sports is king. In our church, we have to kind of look around and see what the sports people are doing so we can schedule around it, right? Because if you miss a practice, you could be in deep trouble with a coach, and that's not going to happen. Sports is king. And then World War II, a change. Sometimes I wonder, what would have happened if they had been unsuccessful? Would the Nazis have taken over the world? Would we all be speaking German? Uh, German's not a bad language, but what they would be saying, that, that might be a different thing again, right? And so there was a change brought about at the time of each of these things. And when you think about Jesus and his baptism and the stuff around that, that was marking a change as well. Maybe Jesus was laboring in obscurity for a long time until now it was to be revealed to the people of Israel who he really was. And John was the one who made that introduction, right? At his baptism. This was when people started to find out who Jesus was. Now, Jesus probably had a pretty strong sense of his identity long before that because we heard about Jesus in the temple asking questions of the priests, speaking with them. For three days, his folks couldn't find him. And he said, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And so he had that. But other people didn't. They saw him as a person like you and me. Kind of an outstanding person, apparently, but still just a person. And then the baptism came, and you had all these things happening, right? You had the dove coming down and resting on him. He had the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It strikes me that you have all three persons of the Trinity there, right? The voice of the Father, Jesus, Son of God, and the Spirit in the form of a dove, all in one place here at the baptism of Jesus. Almost like God saying, we're all in, all of us, right? Totally. God is in this particular action. And so Jesus then was revealed to Israel as the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, he says. In the original language, that has a sense of urgency. Like, come on, guys, pay attention. Look, the Lamb of God. And so we don't quite get that in the translation, but it's, it's an emphasis. This is important. This is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God would take away the sins of the world. Now, the Old Testament stuff with the sacrificial animal, <clears throat> that was to take away sin because sin deserves death. But instead of the death of people, God said, I will accept the death of an animal in that place. And that will take care of it for right now. And that was the way that the sacrifice went over and over again. But on the Day of Atonement, once a year, the priest would come and lay two hands on the head of the sacrificial animal, and he would say, I lay all the sins of Israel on your head. And then they would take that out to the wilderness, and the sacrificial animal was not heard from anymore. So literally, this animal would be used to take away the sins of the nation from them. We say the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, this is 
foreshadowing that whole thing. He actually carried that away so that those sins wouldn't hurt anybody anymore. Now, there's nothing wrong with being human. Lots of times you hear people say, well, I'm only human, right? But that's, that's not really the way it goes. Being human is not the problem. Jesus was human, right? But sin is the problem. It's like a disease. It's like a force that leads us places where we don't want to go and places that are destructive toward us. But Jesus comes and John says, behold the Lamb of God. Not the Lamb of people, not the sacrificial Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, not of Israel, the sins of the world. This is a big deal. And immediately, Jesus goes into his ministry. People start following him. He starts doing his ministry of preaching and teaching and healing, knowing all the time that he is moving toward Jerusalem where he will make the ultimate sacrifice for sins. Knowing that he would have to do a lot of work, even though he is identified now as the Lamb of God, he still had to do the work, right? Still had to go through this ministry. He still had to confront Satan on the cross one last time. At his temptation, described in the Gospel of Luke, at the end of it, it says, Then Satan departed until an opportune time. Many people feel that the opportune time was when Jesus was on the cross. One last temptation. Not to trust the God who told him that he would die, but he would rise again. That's pretty remarkable when you stop and think about it. Because this is what God promised him, but it didn't happen to everybody. You know, it was a very unusual, rare kind of thing he's talking about. I was thinking, you know, if somebody said to me, well, I'm going to kill you, but don't worry about it. After three days, you'll be alive again. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure I'd go with that. But that was the challenge for Jesus, to trust the Father with his very life. To put it in his hands and say, you promised, I'm trusting you to make that promise come true. And so he did. He was determined. Even though he was preaching and teaching and healing all his ministry, he was still focused on Jerusalem. There's a place in one of the Gospels where it says he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. I think of those movies where you see the hero, you know, his muscle and the side of his head just gets real tense because he is determined to do something. That's the picture I get with Jesus. He is moving toward Jerusalem. It's going to be tough, but he is determined. He will carry out the will of the Father. He will do what his Father asks him. And so he did. And it's sort of a reflection of the temptation, really, because at his temptation, for the first time in history, a human being met Satan in open con in open, well, conflict, and he would triumphed. Nobody else ever won before as a human being, but Jesus did, and he says, follow me. So, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And then he brings followers. Um, one of the very first verses after this, he says, you know, come on, it's okay. Andrew heard him, Peter heard him, and away they went. And this movement we call Christianity was on pace to spread throughout the whole world. 
just as a movement, Christianity is probably one of the most successful movements in the entire history of the world. It's something which just doesn't go away. No matter what people try to do to stomp it out, it's always there. Various other things kind of arise and then they fall. But God's people go on and on and on because they know that God has something special for them. And then we too are called. It's interesting in both the Old Testament reading and in the second reading, the word called comes. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle. In the Old Testament, the Lord called me from the womb. It's not something that we do. It's something that God does. He brings us into that place where we are his people. I'd like to read something to you from a pastor by the name of C. Richard Evenson. I knew him when I was in my second parish. And um, he was uh, a person who was very friendly and a person who I think... I think he wrote this in response to the baptism of his grandson. Now, you think I can find it? <laughs> I had it marked, <clears throat> and this was moved, so I'm, here we go. He says, baptism, I think, is the foundational sacrament and the foundational act in the church, not because singly and by itself it should have so much attention paid to it but because it is a microcosm of all that the gospel is it is a mirror of grace it embodies in it all the aspects that one would want mentioned when one explains the gospel it is a microcosm of the gospel because god acts on my behalf before and without my knowledge god has done something for me quite outside my need for it or my desire for it or my understanding of it. God justifies the ungodly. God's grace is for the unlovely. You can say it a thousand different ways. Whenever you have an adult involved with the mind, the decision, commitment, and understanding, and all that's involved, it is difficult to pinpoint, but in an infant baptism, it is clear. God asks for this child without the child's understanding, without its knowledge, without its wishes, without any decisions. Therefore, the gospel is illustrated. Pure grace is demonstrated more than any other place. I think infant baptism has a tremendous value. I think it is a constant reminder to the church that this is what grace is. If we didn't have infant baptism, then we would have lost one of the great symbols of the gospel. And then the great act takes place. The child is declared to be our child, an Evenson. He is responsible to us, and we are responsible to him. He is heir to all that we have. He is part of our family. But since he is an infant, he does not know it. Someone will have to tell him. All who surround him, who will help him to learn to walk, and then to talk, and then to read, and then to get along with people, and then to find what he can do best with his life, all who help him, brothers, sisters, teachers, leaders, relatives, neighbors, and friends, all who are near to him have a great job to do, to help him catch on to who he is and what that identity means for his life. And that task cannot be accomplished by some prayers over his crib, 
nor by an announcement to him someday, nor by a word of correction, an active example, an answer to a question, a comment on an event, or even a series of lessons. But little by little, through all of these, over and over again, in each successive stage of life, the adopted one becomes more and more, in his own feelings and experiences, what he was declared to be on the day of his adoption. So we too have been given an identity in baptism. We are God's people. We didn't ask for it, he just did it for us. And he has given us something to share. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> we read, God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he took all the bad stuff and dumped it on the Lamb of God. He took it away where it can no longer condemn us or destroy us. And now we are free to be ambassadors for Christ, giving people that message of reconciliation. And so we move forward. And we don't know exactly who we are. I said after 50 years in the ministry, I'm finally catching on to a couple of things. <laughs> but it took that long. And I guess that's the way it is for all of us. Like a child, we keep learning. We keep becoming a little bit more all the time who we really are. We really are <clears throat> the children of God, part of the family, part of his ministry. And so... That's what we think of when we think of the Lamb of God, the one who takes away our sin, gives us an identity, and gives us a mission. Amen.